Is there a role for you, Ellen, that has stayed with you? I mean, you look at The Exorcist, you look at Alice, you look at Political Animals. You've had so many great roles, but is there one that stays with you that is the role, the memorable role? You know, I just was in the film festival in Orlando last Saturday and introduced Requiem for a Dream. And I hadn't seen that film in 18 years. And I was so impressed what a great film it is. I realized that when it was out, I tended to view the film as just the parts I was in. You know, I hadn't really focused on the whole thing. And Saturday, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, I'm so glad I was part of this film. It's really a great film in every way. So that's very important. But I, you know, I have others I love, too. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by... Um, this time we are continuing our Darren Aronofsky watch, Mike's favorite. I was not going to let that go even if we record ten times. Um, we're going to talk it. about Requiem for a Dream. Uh, so Mike, as we, so I think we kind of mentioned a couple things about Requiem for a Dream in our last episode. Um, you had kind of talked about the surprise that he showed a lot of empathy for his characters, uh, in this movie. So I'm looking forward to talk to that, talking about that. And we also kind of mentioned, uh, the cuts, uh, and there are a lot of Mm. cuts in this movie. Like it was almost like he didn't have the opportunity to do anything in pie because he didn't have money. And he was like, well, fuck it. I I don't know if I'm going to get another shot. So let's go crazy. And he really did like almost to a point where it's an annoyance to me. Um, it's a that. little much like I it's one of those like I see what you're doing, but like fucking reel it in, Darren. Like, <laughs> it's calm I'm down sure that I liked it a lot more when I was a teenager when this came out. Oh, yes. Because uh, I, I was, you know, like I think most. Well, unfortunately, like <laughs> if you're a man on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. you're probably looking for that uh, not style over substance, because I think there's an awful lot of substance here. Uh, but you're looking for that showiness um, yes. more so than now as a as a tired old man where I'm like you just <laughs> settle just down. Tell me the story, will just, you? <laughs> uh, and part of that is the uh, the performances here are so good. Yes, um, Ellen Burstein is the is the mother uh, is you know it's it's one of the greatest performances I think I've seen in in film. And I went yeah. back and was like, oh, she probably won an oscar for this and i'm like god damn julia roberts like <laughs> like and i like julia roberts you know <laughs> mike on the attack <laughs> I, and that's uh that's where my old age helps and hurts me because if i just didn't research it i would just be like oh she of course she probably won, of she won. <laughs> all the glory for this and why do i need to confirm this don't confirm anything uh i guess that's probably just good for 2020 and in, in general just yes because if if there can be a negative in to that thought you're having, you will confirm that. <laughs> You'll find it. This, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I have to say that I probably like this less less and more um, mm. from memory. Less uh, from uh, I don't want to say from the directing standpoint because obviously part of the performances you take some credit for that as the director sure. you help to guide that, or you just get out of the way, whatever you're doing. Uh, there's a great uh, moment. She has a, an epic monologue in this about aging. 
Oof. where uh, apparently they're the the cinematographer. Um, I think it went out of focus briefly, or you know, kind of, and it was because he was starting to to cry, starting to weep, uh, just mm. watching. Like he just got lost in the moment. It's a reason to lose weight, to fit in a red dress. It's a reason to smile. It makes tomorrow all right. What have I got, Harry? Hmm? Why should I even make the bed or wash the dishes? I do them. But why should I? I'm alone. Your father's gone. You're gone. I got no one to care for. What have I got, Harry? I'm lonely. I'm old. You got friends, Ma? Uh, it's not the same. They don't need me. I like the way I feel. I like thinking about the red dress and the television and you and your father. Now when I get the sun, I smile. And, uh, you know, those are the times where I'm like, I didn't fucking notice. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it would drive someone like David Fincher to, like, kill someone on set oh, if they messed could up. Could you imagine? But <laughs> speaking for the audience and, I guess, taking up for this this crew member, this DP, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you where the shot fucked up because I'm just totally, like, enraptured by this this... Uh, tour de force that uh, Burstein's given here. Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff um, hit me like a punch to the gut that I probably had forgotten how good uh, Jeffrey Connelly, even the Joker here uh, has, has some really great moments. Um, even Marlon Wayans, who is right. Like, you know, if you walk into this movie, especially back then, he's not the one you're really looking for well, as far as scary like, movie guy. Right, right. At this point. Yeah, um, exactly. But he's good too. Like, yeah, he's, he's really good. Um, so yeah, like the, the cuts, uh, the sort of style of it, I guess it's not dissimilar from Boogie Nights in that regard that we're going to mm. make the, the highs of, you know, whatever sin that we're showing here on screen, you know, the, the pornography industry and this, you know, drug abuse, the early stuff, uh, here is attempting to make it seem more, I don't know if more fun, but certainly more thrilling, right? Before yes. the fall. Um, of course, anytime I bring up Boogie Nights, I'm always going to be like, but it's not as good as Boogie Nights. <laughs> well, Boogie nothing Nights... is. <laughs> it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, so. I don't know, but did you have that like that feeling? Like there was a push and pull where there was stuff I liked more as an older man, stuff I liked less. Um, but yeah, I, I... I enjoyed going back to it, as strange as that sounds. I, <laughs> yes. I don't know if I enjoyed the content, <laughs> but I enjoyed the experience again. Yeah, it was very interesting to rewatch this because I had mentioned, I think last time, that I've watched this a number of times. But most of that was back when it first came out. 
Like, I think it was one of those, like, oh, God, I got to watch that again. I got to mm-hmm. see what was going on. So I probably haven't watched it, like, at least in a decade. Like, it's, it's been a long time. Um, and it was a very different experience. I don't know if it was, like, better or worse, but it's it's a very different experience as someone older. Um, and one of the things I remember most clearly is that, like, back when this movie came out, like, I was into movies, but there's, like, a difference between, like, in, like enjoy going out to the movies and, like, really being like, I got to see everything. I got to, you know, look at this critically. Like it's a different experience. And I wasn't at that point. I hope you've yeah. lost that. I've got to see everything. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well now also, I do because nothing comes out. It's great. So. It's, and that's also not a healthy face to go through no, to try to no. cover the entire scope of this, this of cinema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was actually the first thing I'd ever seen Ellen Burstyn in. Like, I think, I feel like I like recognized who she was, but I didn't have any context um for this performer and then was just completely floored by this performance like oh my like because i think when the movie starts you think like oh it's the nice old lady um her son is kind of a fuck up um and she's going to be like the one we root for and he's going to be constantly like ruining things so the way the movie flips i kind of love that it like it's the idea essentially that like drug abuse does not know age it does not know color it doesn't know religion like everyone is susceptible to this um so i like that i like that that's the way that that story goes but i found her performance the most affecting it's also probably the biggest performance in the movie like in terms of how big it goes um well it's a um you know it's it's a one-hander as far as she's it's yeah there's no one there's no one to play off of. it's just the tv and just her and her own thoughts um yes and some of that I think it really go off the rails uh, and it comes very close uh, for me, but it's, mm-hmm. it's because of how they set up her character, uh, that monologue she has with her son about having no one, nothing to look forward to really Cl- like clinging to anything, clinging, clinging <laughs> to this hope that she'll be on <laughs> television one day. And how amazing would that be? Like seeing, you know, your mom on the TV. Um, he's also really good in that moment when he figures out, Oh, what's going yeah. on with her, um, but I, won't or can't open himself up enough to share his own struggles or pain. Right. He just, you know, he says, I just know, you know, I, how do you know these things? My doctor says they're not a problem. He's right. Like, Look, I know. Um, I just know. Yeah. There's, there's a couple moments with him where it, it kind of makes the movie, uh, because if you have one character just be almost villainous, then I don't think I think the movie completely falls apart. But you have that moment with her at the table, and then you have like a couple moments with him and Jennifer Connelly where there's gen- genuine care between the two of them. Because like I think most times when you see drug addiction and relationships in films, it's like oh look at what this these crazy two people are doing and the awful things that they're that they're doing to society. But instead, they chose some really quiet moments between. Well- Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly's character. Yeah, there, there's a scene after. Um, yeah, I mean, she basically prostitutes herself for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not it's not set up like he's pimping her out in any way. Um, it's this resignment to like, well, this is our only option. This this is what something we could do, you know, if we if if need be. Um, like where she comes back into the room and they just are sitting on opposite ends of the couch after this somewhat forced sexual experience, just so they can, you know, continue to 
to live with this addiction. Um, and I remember I, I didn't rewatch it, but I seem to remember uh, it must have been from the commentary track that Aronofsky said that he just held that moment just to see. He didn't guide the actors as far as uh, what they were supposed to do. Just like just come in and just stay in character and like how would this couple resolve this? And he said it was it would have been an extremely long take, but that they eventually like came closer together. And I don't remember if they embraced or they just touched in some way uh, on the couch. And you can't have that whole shot. I don't know if it's for pacing right. purposes that he just went more negative or more cynical. Yes. Um, but you know, a good, you bring up a good point because even the Jared Leto character, I don't think any of the, you know, usually with these, these type of things, like, like, you know, train spotting has the big, uh, caper, you know, uh, and you have a lot of characters kind of espousing their own philosophies. They all have sort of, to some degree, delusions of grandeur about themselves and what they can accomplish. Um, I don't think in Requiem for a Dream, they do. Like, you know, there's, they often say, like, Marlon Wayans and Jared Leto, like, the, uh, let's, let's, like, please, God, let's not fuck this up. Like, they say that to each other. <laughs> like, we can't fuck this up. And, you know, the, the goal is just, like, to open, like, a dress shop, like, with yeah. his girlfriend. Like, it's very low key. Like, it's, it's nothing. And that makes it all. He doesn't want to take over the drug game. Like he just wants to live a quiet life. It makes it all the more depressing though. Cause it's like, that's all they're like aspiring to is a somewhat normal, uh, small business owner type life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's something that he, he believes in her. He believes that she could do this. Like he believes in her creativity. Um, yeah, it, it makes it, it's got a harsher edge when you see what they're resorting to. Like when they can have this belief and passion for one another. And then because of this, because of what their, their body has sort of turned them against each other, uh, they'll throw that away, uh, just yeah. because there's no other, no other option. Even like the, uh, I guess when guns do come into it, this like, uh, back of a supermarket, like drug buy, um, you have Leto saying like, you know, like, basically like these fucking junkies if they could just handle themselves <laughs> right. and i'm thinking like, like dude like, <laughs> like listen it, it, to it yourself was, and it's very it's also very interesting for me to watch this now because um because as my job i'm a i'm a drug and alcohol counselor um, not, a, so, not a backroom dealer at a no, shady supermarket no, not yet <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's so interesting because you you hear lines like that and you're like oh that's ridiculous like you're how do you not have the insight like you are Chucky, you mm-hmm. are struggling, but I hear that every day where there's always this comparison. Well, I'm not like them. Like it could be so much worse. And it's, it's very interesting to see that now, but back to like the, the kind of excessive directing that Aronofsky is doing. We talk a sure. lot. I, I mentioned sometimes about like, Oh, he's acting with a capital A. Uh, this is directing with a capital D. Um, and it actually, I feel like in a couple ways kind of takes away from the movie. Um, because I think it distracts from how good the performances are, as you mentioned. And I also think if you had just kept those crazy cuts in the Ellen Burstyn sequence, I think it works so much better because that is weirdly like fantasy based at the beginning. So it fits that really well. But everyone else is just kind of like struggling and trying to get through the day, like trying to get through their life. And they're kind of out there in the quote unquote real world where she is in her home you know, trapped watching TV all day, I guess, you know, spending an hour a day outside with her quote unquote friends who are all fucking awful. Uh, she's got the good spot though, Dave. She yeah. The, she moved right up. In the middle. 
she moved up. That was really interesting, too, this kind of, like, hierarchy uh, of this little world that she lives in. And I, you know, all these characters have that, right? They all have this weird hierarchy that, like, no one else knows about unless you're actually in that world. Um, so that was really interesting to see kind of the similarities between these characters. Like, they're all from kind of different worlds, different places, using different substances. And yet, they're, they have more in common than they think they do. You know, and especially between the mother and the son. And that that's why it just becomes so painful to watch. Because the beginning, like, he's, like, breaking her door down, stealing the TV, which she knows he's going to do. Well, he's also <laughs> insulted by her fear of him. Yeah. Like, it's not some, it's not that he, and as we, it's revealed, he, this is a, uh, a routine of theirs uh, where he comes in and takes her TV uh, she buys it, it back. And she goes back and, and buys it back. Uh, that shitty television. And yeah, the way that scene resolves uh, is with his anger slash frustration, uh, maybe attempt at a realization that his mother is afraid of him uh, because mm-hmm. she's denying that with her words. But as he points out, like, why are you locking yourself in your bedroom, like from your own son? And it's like, why is she locking herself? <laughs> yeah, in maybe bedroom think about that question. <laughs> <laughs> maybe because you're kicking in the door. I don't know. <laughs> this is rough. And it's, it's interesting because that's a long journey to get you to care about this character. That's his introduction. That's his introduction to the audience. He's just said yeah. he's an asshole. He's a thief. He's a junkie. Uh, but by the end of the movie, I do think you feel for him. Um, as you kind of go on this journey and it, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel cheap. Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, Aronofsky or whoever wrote the script is like, you know, has the puppet strings and is like, okay, I'm going to make you feel this way. It does feel like a kind of natural journey to get there by the end. And you do really, I mean, despite the fact that he's like, you know, shoving a needle in an open wound and, you know, there's a lot. This movie is just a lot, like especially by the end. And of course it like just amps up and amps up and amps up. And that last five minutes is kind of like, I mean – so uncomfortable it's almost unwatchable where you're just like i I cannot take any more (laughs) this everyone is so bad off everyone is dying or in jail or being forced to perform sexual acts like it's or being shocked by the by the doctors like it's just so much no one gets it it's like the ultimate scared straight video like no one comes out of this alive it's bad definitely the worst version of like the uh end of like return of the jedi where it's like we're gonna cross cut to all the various adventures our heroes are right like uh, we got han on the on indoor you know on the ground fighting and ellen burstein's getting shock therapy and uh i i mean the i guess the one who gets the best of it is what marlon wayne's is just uh, going through withdrawals and puking. Yeah, that's and, that's the best. That's good and job. you know uh, having to put up with, of course, the uh, the racism of the uh, prison officials or the the cops. Uh, that's the best case scenario because <laughs> right. he still has all of his limbs. And uh, I did read that uh, Aronofsky said he he believes he's the only character in the film that has a chance at redemption, which I think is why they keep calling back to. Uh, his thoughts of his his mother, who I assume mm-hmm. has passed the way he thinks about her, because he goes back to childhood. Yeah. Uh, also, a really good moment with him when he's in the uh, bedroom with the uh, the fetching young lady, but he's uh, off going, reverting back to childhood. Which you've already said. You you kind of opened this this month saying like, look, 
Uh, Aronofsky <laughs> loves scarves and he doesn't like subtlety. <laughs> That's and it. you don't get it here either. Like, I mean, the fact that all of the characters go into like the fetal position, like that's the, that's, you know, to, I'm just, oh, did you catch that so. symbolism? Hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep going to his, uh, superior, uh, in his generation, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, Magnolia does very similar things. Um, also better. Also prefer that movie, yes, but, yes. um, I, I don't have an issue with it really. When it, when it comes to this particular subject matter, uh, there's a certain, uh, allowance I give, a certain wide berth, uh, right. for melodrama in that particular way. And for someone thinking like, how did I, how did I get here? How did I go from that, from sitting on my mother's lap and her saying like, you know, you just have to be, be you, just have to be yourself. And that's all that makes me happy. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things in this context, I can't really call called out i like magnolia and like what pta has said uh in interviews about it he probably would do it differently i i'm i'm wondering if you think based on we go through aronofsky's filmography do you think he would direct requiem for a dream differently? no absolutely <laughs> not he said saying there's been, there's been no professional growth <laughs> no. here if anything aronofsky. he would go bigger like just, <laughs> i just think that's the guy he is i mean we'll talk about it when we get there but Mother is kind of like in term, not in terms of like special effects or cuts necessarily, mm-hmm. but in in its drama, it's bigger and broader. He just keeps going bigger and broader. I don't see him like narrowing his focus. That's just not, you know, it's not what he's interested in. He has no interest in being subtle or chill about anything. Like, it's just, <laughs> I'm just going to put it all out there for you and you do what you want with it. So. That's an interesting challenge as we uh, continue on. Which film can I say? Okay, this is the most chill. It's probably Pi. It's. <laughs> I'm holding out hope for Wrestler. As I'm no. uh, like a grown man <laughs> in spandex and going to tanning beds, very and relaxed. Hair. <laughs> that's that's probably the most chill. So I'm going to ask you maybe an awkward question. So sure, what in this movie particularly? What is your opinion of kind of the way that Aronofsky treats gender as opposed to like kind of the worst things that can happen to women and the worst things that can happen to men, um, given these characters? Because, I mean, you know, this movie ends essentially with Jennifer Connelly's character, like going and selling her body and mm-hmm. being penetrated uh, by a double dildo. So, you know, it's a little it's a little rough. Uh, the way this movie ends for everybody, but I find it interesting that like, you know, men are losing their limbs, um, going to prison, women are, you know, losing their memory and essentially being raped. Um, so what was your perception of kind of how gender was used in this movie? If, if the, if that occurred to you while you were watching this? I mean, okay. The Jennifer Connelly stuff occurred to me, uh, because it has a level of ickiness, um, mainly because it puts me in my place in the sense of like, I think we're used to seeing in particular attractive women on screen sexualized for our own, our own entertainment and pleasure because I'm on the record, uh, with you often, uh, more sex yes. on screen. Consensual sex then, though. Then <laughs> I watch something like this and I'm like, okay, hmm, not this time. Yeah, no, less, please less. <laughs> and it, it is, I find it interesting because I do think, Aronofsky is very purposely uh, kind of turning the camera on on the male audience because during that scene, I mean, you have all these, you know, regular looking guys surrounding this screaming obscenities at these two women. 
Like they are objects and nothing more. Um, so I find it interesting that there's a lot of focus on that and they look crazed. They look like animals. Um, and these are the ones who are functional addicts, right? Have jobs, I'm, I'm dressed well. Gonna go back to the wrestler. Definitely has to be the most chill because there is a stripper with a heart of gold That's in there, true. and a, a goddamn wrestler named Ram Jam yeah. knows how to knows how to carry himself in a strip club, like <laughs> some sense of decorum. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think all of it to some degree is a uh, shock to the system, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's the that's the stuff that can hit close to home. I hope not with that particular experience because I don't tend to run in like eyes wide shut circles <laughs> yes. with these like sex parties. Um, but as far as, you know, being positive towards uh, sex workers, which I think there's been a, a cultural shift yeah. to not demean people in that, that industry and the, the internet has both, I don't know, helped or hurt that regard. Um, but with like Jared Leto and Marlon Wayans, like going to prison almost seems like it wouldn't provide that shock. I mean, now he does lose an arm. So there is the, the sort of like body horror factor of it. Mm-hmm. But I think we have, as a society, we've probably just embraced like, well, you know, if you get involved in drugs, you're going to, you're going to have to go to prison. You're going to have to serve time. Like that's just like, it's almost not horrific enough. Uh, and I think it's, some you mean like it's expected, like, like that's like it's expected, and also I think some people will be like, "Well, good, this will straighten them out." Which I don't know what their experience is with with prison or their outlook of thinking that that's going to somehow better <laughs> someone or actually rehabilitate. Um, I would I would not necessarily agree with that assessment, especially if someone with these particular addictions mm-hmm. coming out, you know, clean and ready to rejoin the world uh, for the better. Um, so I think yeah, her story is probably the one. Uh, that is meant to make you more uncomfortable mm-hmm. than the others because you're right. They open with this guy abusing his relationship with his mom, taking advantage of her. And the concern would be, you know, if I were the filmmaker and uh, losing some of your audience to this sense of like mob justice of like, well, I can't wait to see how you know, he'll learn his lesson eventually. Yes. <laughs> and all of it is pushed to the extreme, but uh, as far as the the use of of gender, um, you know, I, I think it's it's probably like it's unfortunately like a lot of things. It's just worse to be a woman on screen. It's worse to be a woman in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that punishment. I don't want to lose an arm, but it's that this, those are still the scenes that I think stick out to me. That that sequence with that old man. I read that this was an improvisation where he says he just like calls out like they're playing a game of horse and he's just like ass to ass. Ugh. And I'm just like, God. really, Aronofsky? That was an improv. That's the like, one you kept? That's... <laughs> okay, said something about you, Darren. You've got some issues to work out. Good sure. idea, sir. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, you weepy son of a bitch. Uh, DP, let's, let's reset this up. This guy's got a good idea. No, um, uh. yeah, it's all, it's all horrifying. I, I also think that it, it plays into a little bit of the, the characterization of this couple to where there's almost this, there's this disdain for this woman that he loves. Um, speaking of the Joker here, of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also jealousy that she has the option 
to sell her body that he doesn't. Right. Which I don't know if is is explored as much to my liking because I feel like I mean, and maybe Aronofsky is not the guy to do it because he would just come in with a chainsaw. <laughs> but that's that's an interesting dynamic between the two that two people suffering through withdrawals in this addiction. It seems like he's suggesting, well, she has an out that's not provided for him. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, this is probably terrible, but it's, there are certainly in that world, uh, there are opportunities for men to do similar things and they don't explore that at all. Uh, like he probably has an out, like just, uh, do you feel like that's because then it becomes one of those type of movies? Like it's like the only time there's, uh, gay experiences, um, or, or just, you know, queer sexual acts, maybe not with a, a, a homosexual person, uh, that it's suddenly like, that is, it's like, okay, now that has to go into queer cinema territory exclusively. It has to be solely about that. There can't just be a sequence where this is something, an event that happened in this man's life. Suddenly that has to be the focal point. Of I the think, movie. I think that is true. And then I think also if that were to happen in a movie like this, then you risk, being a straight male director who's like vilifying gay people, right? Well, they're just out to take advantage of this, hey, hey, you know, hey. this straight boy. Didn't stop uh, Verhoeven month. We had a, we had a blast with <laughs> nothing would stop at... Paul Verhoeven. I mean, that man is going to do whatever he damn well pleases in every movie, whether it's good or bad. He's going to have a good time. So, so yeah, it's mostly so, good. <laughs> says the straight guy it's pretty it's good pretty good i'm into it <laughs> um yeah it is like kind of like watching this movie is it feels kind of like a marathon like it just it's it's a shock to the system it feels much longer like i turned it on and i think it's only like a little like an hour and a half or a little bit over that maybe yeah that's pretty and i pretty was tight. And i was shocked i was sure this movie was like two and a half hours long because i was just like but it's just so much. And the thing that was it's really interesting as I'm watching these movies is he doesn't really get called out for this. Not called out, but he doesn't get mentioned as far as this goes. But he's got a lot of horror in him. Like, a lot of his movies, like, there is plenty of body horror going on. Like, there's body horror mm-hmm. here, certainly in Black Swan. I mean, I mean, you could even say in The Wrestler, given what that man does to his body. Staple gun. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's so, it's, it's funny. He never gets mentioned. I don't know it's, if it's because he's become kind of an art house name, uh, at this point. Like, he's got nominated for awards. So clearly he can't be a horror director because he makes, he makes good movies. So we can't have him be in that camp. But as I'm watching these movies, in just about every film, something pops up where I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a horror director trick. Like he's really, he really goes all in for it. Maybe cause it's like hidden by all the spirituality stuff and the God stuff, but people don't seem to really put him in that camp. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, well, thank God, I guess that, uh, Cronenberg is not as, um, entertained or amused by the fucking Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can just go to, you know, dueling gynecologists. That's yeah, the, there you that's go. The, that's the dead ringers, baby. What did I do? Why yeah, did I pick Cronenberg someday on this show? That would be, <laughs> that would be a brutal month. That would be a lot. But yeah, let's not follow that. Uh, not right away. Aronofsky up with more. Yeah. 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 And let's yeah, never do Tony much. Scott. How about that? Never do that. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, what a hack. That guy. <laughs> let's just do six months on Ridley Scott. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. It'll be great. Uh, we can talk about The Counselor for three episodes. It'll be wonderful. 
I I could very well do that. I know that. you could. There's, I know you. Speaking of, uh, you know, I, I think the 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 two leads in Dead Ringers would like a particular sequence, uh, a car sequence in the counselor. Oh, okay. I can put on my Jeremy Irons hat for that for Look, three episodes. There's no way to come back from this. I think we're just going to wrap it up. Uh, so we are those old men in that ring. What are we talking about? Just in podcast don't, form. Don't include we're, me in that. I am not. No. We are disgusting. <laughs> no sir. No sir. Um, so. Um, what's next, Mike? What what movie are we covering next? What comes after Requiem for a Dream? Uh, Strangely, The Fountain. I think we both were like, wait, there's we're missing one, right? Yes. But no, <laughs> thanks to the uh, the whims of Brad Pitt, this one took a while to uh, come out uh, without Brad Pitt. So the movie's lesser because of it. Well, every no, every, no Brad Pitt. Every movie that goes for every movie. Every movie. Yeah. All right, so next time you hear us, we'll be talking about The Fountain. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter, at DirectedByPod, and you can donate to our Patreon, where you will get bonus episodes. Supposedly, we're going to do one on, what's it called, Perfect Blue? Is that the name of it? That's That was your idea? Yes? I have done a podcast on this before. I didn't care for it. It's an it's it's anime. It's, yeah, it's not my it's a thing, cartoon. But, Mike's not interested. Uh, this dude uh, fucking loves it because he. I think he bought the rights to it uh, just so he could use a shot of Jennifer Connelly here in the bathtub. Her screaming that comes directly mm. out of that film. And and when we get to Black Swan, kind of a loose remake. Yeah, a little it. bit. So a little bit. Yeah. So, so that you know, because we are actually covering his entire filmography. Yeah. He gets that honor. <laughs> Not Scorsese. Sorry, Scorsese. Sorry John Ford. <laughs> Not interested. Yes, so uh, so next time we'll talk about The Fountain. Follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. Just the white sheets, the tick, tick.